we try to do a better job of defining loneliness because loneliness isn't the absence of people. It's the absence of connection. Yeah. Um, so you could be surrounded by people in a busy office and still feel lonely. So it's this idea of connection. And so what we try to do in the book is to understand and make the case that work is the most fertile ground to lessen loneliness because there's routine and there's meaningful relationships that can occur. There's purpose, there's learning, there's all these loneliness lifelines that we can all grasp onto very readily. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, the show where we explore the big idea that businesses, teams, and workplaces that operate on love and care outperform the competition. Glad you're here. Please share this episode with a friend so we can continue to spread the Love in Action movement globally. Last week, you'll remember, I had a great conversation with Zena Such and Patrick Malone about the importance of human connections at work and how feeling connected to other people at work boosts work satisfaction. So we're going to stick with to this very important topic. And well, we're going to dig even further and, and deeper and talk about this loneliness epidemic. Did you know there is one? Yeah, that's affecting workers globally. Loneliness because of the simple fact that leaders aren't doing enough to connect their people. And we're going to get into that. So with workplaces going remote due to COVID and the pandemic, I mean, loneliness has skyrocketed. So not only is loneliness impacting our physical and and obviously our mental health, but having lonely workers is not good for business. And you know what? Loneliness will only grow in intensity as technology advances and jobs become increasingly virtual because that's the direction we are headed right now. So this is a topic that we need to address. We got to hit this head on. And luckily, today's guest will help us do just that. I'm going to be talking with Ryan Jenkins, co-author of a brand new book called Connectable, How Leaders Can Move Teams from Isolated to All In. Ryan and his co-author, Stephen Van Cohen, are in the business of helping companies such as FedEx, Coca-Cola, The Home Depot, Salesforce, and Wells Fargo reduce worker loneliness. I mean, they have the research and they have the methodology. So who is Ryan Jenkins? Well, I'll tell you. He is an internationally recognized keynote speaker, virtual trainer and author. Ryan's top ranked insights have been featured all over the place, including Forbes, Fast Company, Inc., and the Wall Street Journal. Prior to Connectable, Ryan also has written two other books, The Millennial Manual, and the Generation Z Guide. Check those out. He's also the co-founder of LessLonely.com, the world's first resource fully dedicated to reducing worker isolation and strengthening team connections. I can't wait to get into that topic to find out how we do that these days. Ryan is a dedicated husband and dad, currently living in Atlanta with his wife, Ashley, and their children, Ella, Landon, Meyer, and their yellow lab, Bauer. Ryan, it's great to have you. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast. Thanks for having me, Marcel. Looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, likewise. So before we get into uh, you know your journey about how you arrived at this book and, and, uh, and, and your life's work, tell us a little bit about Ryan Jenkins, the person. What's your story? Yeah, I grew up in Denver, Colorado, actually Littleton right outside Denver, and uh, had a Great upbringing, loved to play ice hockey, and eventually found my way to college at the at Miami University outside of Cincinnati. And I studied marketing and entrepreneurship. Ironically, my studies in entrepreneurship landed me a job, which took me to Atlanta. And I was trying to get back to Denver because why would you ever leave Denver? It's fantastic. But I <laughs> fell in love with Atlanta, met my wife. We made some roots. We've got three wonderful children now, yeah. um, started a business. And when I came to work in, in Atlanta, I was in technology sales. 
And I was a young millennial and there was a lot of talk about millennials. And what I kept noticing is that so many leaders and employers were pointing fingers mm-hmm. at the emerging generation. And I just didn't think that was helpful. That wasn't moving organizations forward. And I felt like I had, I had a voice and I felt like I could, I could insert something into that conversation because what was changing was how we were working and the, and the way of work was changing, not necessarily because there was this brand new generation with, that was fundamentally different and rewired completely different. And so I wanted to help people understand this new way of working through the lens yeah. of generations. So that kicked off a, a decade-long research writing for Inc. and Entrepreneur and uh, had a blog and podcast and just been writing about the generations, wrote two books. Yeah. My latest or my, my last book, which was all about Gen Z, it was when I was researching Gen Z that I discovered they are the loneliest generation. Over 70% of them experienced loneliness uh, on a frequent basis. And that just struck me. And I thought, why is that? And so I became so curious. I started leaning into this topic to try to figure out why they were so lonely. And then if work could be a solution or a place that could help with this loneliness. And this was all pre-pandemic. Right. Pandemic happens. And I brought all this loneliness research to my clients thinking, they're not going to want to talk about this. Humanity's never liked talking about loneliness. Why would they care now? And I was dead wrong. Everyone wanted to talk about it. Silver lining, it seems, from the pandemic was that it's pulled the curtain back on this very shameful topic of loneliness. Everyone wanted to talk about it. Uh, There was so much appetite for it. I decided to put together a book proposal and McGraw-Hill will be publishing the book. And the new book now is, as you mentioned, Connectable. And so we interviewed 2,000 global workers and found that 72% of them experienced loneliness at least monthly. So this isn't no longer just a Gen Z problem, although it seems to be intensified among the emerging generation. We're all experiencing it. And it's a a universal human condition. And I'm so thrilled that the world is finally ready to talk about it because it's about time. And I'm excited to to start having the conversation with you today. Well, yeah, me too. So before we start to drill down into the research, because I I definitely want to tackle the research, You, you touched on it. Uh, so kind of you kind of opened up the floor there on on that. But I want to I want to pull back a little bit about why is it that everybody, of course, now wants to talk about loneliness, right? Because of the pandemic. But why was it that they didn't? Why didn't leaders want to talk about it before the pandemic? You know, it's, it's, it's shameful, right? If you experience loneliness, then there's this stigma that there's something wrong with you. Uh-huh. And why talk about it, right? You want to draw attention to this perception of inadequacy that's in oneself. And that even showed through in the research, not like neuroscientists and psychologists, no one has studied loneliness. It's only till in the last five to six years that yeah. researchers have really dug into it. And now we figure out where loneliness, uh, ha- what happens to the brain when we experience exclusion and we can get into that later. Uh-huh. Um, so even, even folks that study this stuff have been ignoring the topic. So it has just been shrouded in shame. One of my primary goals, myself and my co-author, Stephen, one of our primary goals is to destigmatize loneliness and to make it much more accessible because again, it's a universal human condition and we all experience it. So it's, it shouldn't be shameful. It's simply a signal that we all belong together and we need to start using it as a signal, just like hunger, right? You experience hunger right. and you want to reach for something to eat. If you're experiencing loneliness, reach out to connect to somebody. And it's just yeah. our subtle reminder that we're better together. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I saw too uh, in 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 my world when with clients and thought leadership is is exactly what you said. There's this this stigma around loneliness, just like mental health issues, like you know anxiety and and uh, um, what's the other one? The um, shoot, not anxiety. Yeah, anxiety, burnout, and burnout things like that. Right? Mm-hmm. Those are all issues that we're all dealing with. But before, nobody wanted to talk about it. And no, I was going to say it was uh, Inc. actually put out a, an article a few years back on entrepreneurs and depression. That's it. Depression and how some depression actually led to some well-known entrepreneurs committing suicide. Mm. And then so that that article kind of exposed sort of this, this need for us to acknowledge how we're feeling. And nowadays, you know, people like Kevin Love, that plays for the Cleveland Cavaliers and you know, one tennis player that's on the tour now, a female, they're acknowledging that their self-care comes first, their mental health comes first. And so they're even, you know, pushing back against certain rituals and rules and stuff that says you have to be or do this or that. No, 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 no. This isn't, this doesn't serve me and my mental health needs. So people are now, so you know, a lot of people are actually 
are, 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 are kind of supporting that now. And so I see that in the workplace, which to me, again, ties back to leaders and cultures understanding the human need for, you know, connect and, and we'll, we'll talk about the human need for psychological safety, the human need for having purpose in your work. Those are all things that are, that you're going to touch on that I found in your book. So boy, that was a ramble session. Holy cow. I'm going to, I'm going to have to, might have to edit this down a little bit, but no, here's the I'll thing. <laughs> here's the thing though. You guys must be giddy, you and Steven, about the fact that this is your life's work. And before the pandemic, you kind of almost have to sell people into the idea that, hey, this is something you need to address. And now everybody wants to address it. So like, are you guys just totally giddy about that right now? Hey, we're, we're excited to broach this topic with folks. I mean, certainly, you know, the the growing, the, how loneliness is growing is not exciting, but there's, you know, this is something that we need to, to have a conversation about. And we're thrilled to, yeah. to be the ones to to bring that to the table. You know, listeners can probably relate. If you broach the topic of loneliness, if I use this podcast as an example, sometimes when you're in the next few days, as you're talking with someone, say, hey, listen to this great podcast about mm-hmm. loneliness and see how the other person reacts. In my experience, every single time that person leans in, they go, really? What was it about? Because we all experience it. We haven't talked about it. And we're, everyone I talk to, it seems like they're itching to have this conversation. And so it's exciting from that standpoint of, of that people are ready. And I think uh, we mentioned in the book, we talk about Justin Bieber, his song Lonely. I mean, it just skyrocketed to the top. And it was his, it was his story about being surrounded by all these people and having extreme fame, but just feeling extremely lonely because he didn't feel like he had quality connections with the people around him. So. Mm. So it's striking a chord in all different places, and we're excited to immerse yeah. ourselves in that combo. That's great. Okay, let's bring the book front and center, Connectable. So what's the big idea behind it? It's not just a book on loneliness, is it? Um, I mean, it is about loneliness, but I think people aren't quite... We try to do a better job of defining loneliness because loneliness isn't the absence of people. It's the absence of connection. Yeah. Um, so you could be surrounded by people in a busy office and still feel lonely. So it's this idea of connection. And so what we try to do in the book is to understand and make the case that work is the most fertile ground to lessen loneliness because there's routine and there's meaningful relationships that can occur. There's purpose, there's learning, there's all these loneliness lifelines that we can all grasp onto very readily. And so that's the case we make in the book. And so the idea around the connectable and the what the top, what the title means is means to connect. You know, we're all connectable. We are. We were hardwired to connect with others, and with so many things that are happening in the world today, we're drifting away from each other. And so we've, if nothing else, we would love for this book to be a glaring reminder that we need each other and we need to prioritize our connections. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to frame the next few questions around the research that you did for the book. So can you share some key findings that we really need to know? And maybe what surprised you the most? Yeah. I mean, it was glaring to us how much, how many of us experience loneliness frequently. So as I mentioned, 72% said they experience it at least weekly and 55%. So over half, 55% of people say they experience it uh, weekly. And so it's pretty astounding how rampant it is. And it's not just lonely at the top, it's lonely in the middle, it's only at the bottom of organizations. Again, loneliness is no respecter of person or life stage or age or race or anything. We all experience it. So that stood out. Um, But what also stood out was how easy it is to bring it down because loneliness is increasing. That's not good, but that's at least it tells us it's malleable. What goes up can also come down. And how we actually decrease loneliness, it's a lot easier than we think. And it's just simple pro-social behaviors that we have to be aware of. And the initial reaction we're getting from a lot of our advanced readers are saying how encouraged they feel that this is a book and content that they can just do themselves. They don't have to go create culture change inside the organization. They don't have to convince all these other people to get on board. There's just simple behaviors that we can do ourselves to lessen loneliness in oneself and the folks around us. And that's what's so empowering about this. So that I think really stood out to us. Yes, it's 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 increasing significantly. It was rising fast before the pandemic. The pandemic escalated it. But again, there's things that we can do to decrease it that are a lot yeah. more ready available than many may think. 
Yeah. And, and don't worry, gang, Ryan and I are going to get into those, that, what those things are. Okay. Just hang <laughs> tight. I, I, we don't want to jump the gun so quickly. I know some of you are at the edge. No, give us, give it to us now, but hold on. Okay. I, I want to make sure that this is so real for people listening, Ryan, that they understand, oh man, this happens to me. It's happening right now. Or they may see a coworker and they may say, yeah, this is happening in my workplace. So let's start with the why. Why? And, and the obvious answer is, well, because they're not connecting. But why are so many workers suffering right now from loneliness? Yeah. According to our research, the top two reasons are busyness and technology and social media. Uh, there's, some, there's some other factors as well, of course, but we'll take those two first. And I'll start with a, some, some interesting research that really highlights why busyness is yeah. a problem. <laughs> So there was um, some research done where they took a group of individuals and they tasked this group with the same task. They all had the same task. They were to deliver a speech across town to an audience. And so they all had the same mission, same objective. It was on a topic that they all were fairly comfortable with. So that didn't draw up a ton of anxiety in this group. But then they divided that group into three groups. So there was one group who had plenty of time and they could you know, prepare for their speech, get across town, deliver that speech in plenty of time. And the second group was on time. So they had to leave right away, but they had enough time to get to the facility and deliver their speech. And the third group was already late. So they had to leave immediately. And no matter what, even how fast they went, they would still be late to delivering their speech. And all three groups had to go on the same path to get to the venue. And they all, they, the, the researchers followed them into this alleyway, this narrow alleyway, where they put a person that was an actor who was, had faked an injury and was lying on the ground and was making clear that the individual needed some assistance. So the researchers were interested to see how many of those three groups would stop to help that person. So of the people that were, had plenty of time, over 60% of them stopped to help the injured person. Mm. Of the folks that were just were on time, it was about 40% of them stopped to help. And then of the folks that were already late on yeah. their way to the venue, only 10% of them stopped. Only 10% of them stopped to help that injured person. And so what we can deduce from this is that time constraints severely limit our willingness to engage with others. So when we have back-to-back-to-back meetings, when, we're, when our personal lives are scheduled to the brim and there's no margin... Mm-hmm. That means we have no meaningful, you know, time for meaningful connections. And so now more than ever, when all of our plates are overflowing, we've got to be intentional about creating that margin. And that could be simply as showing up early to a, a Zoom meeting or uh, yeah. your next social meetup, just showing up a little bit early so you can have a little bit of time to connect with your surroundings, connect with yourself or connect with colleagues, coworkers, whatever it might be. So busyness is a big one. And we can dig into technology and social media if you'd like. Yeah. If this is a uh, a church sermon, this is the part where I go, preach, preach. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, there's so much truth to what you just said. I mean, I point my point the finger right at back me as well to create more margin for my own life. Wow. Okay. So we already know, you and I already know, we've, we're on the, all over the research that loneliness was an epidemic pre-COVID. And then COVID comes along, bam. And things just, like I mentioned, it's now we're in crisis. There's a loneliness, an increase in loneliness and isolation. People go remote for the first time. They don't know how to manage their their lives. Their, the, that, that work-life blend all of a sudden is out of whack, right? Okay, so mm-hmm. talk to us about what effect has COVID had on workplace loneliness really since, what, March of 2020? Yeah, I mean it's it's increased significantly. Of course, I mean you know when you when the whole world is told to uh, separate from each other, that's for a social species that's not healthy. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, of course we we needed to do those things to, to to get our hands around what was happening, but yeah, that 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 was a problem, and it escalated loneliness. And according to the research, remote workers tend to be more lonely, and that shouldn't surprise folks. But you can still have a remote workforce and still get them connected. You just have to work a little bit harder, right? You have to do extra steps and be a little bit more intentional to connect them. Because again, 
Loneliness isn't the absence of people. So you could be alone in your office working remotely with all these different people, but you've got to be intentional about building more of these connections, connecting with yourself, um, connecting with the work. There's so many different ways that loneliness can occur. And yeah. so it's the job of the leader to connect the individuals to the, the other team members, to connect uh, between the, the manager and the, and the individual, to connect the individual to the work, the culture. So there's all these connection points that they've got to start thinking about in order to make sure that these isolated workers can feel engaged. And yeah, so, yeah. and I think the organizations are, are they're not, of course, no, no one seems to know what's going to work or how to approach this back to work, hybrid, remote. But I think what's happening is a lot of folks are, humanity has a, has a track record of just going to the convenience, right? We're, we just like to do whatever's convenient. And that's why we adopted Uber. And that's why we adopted ATMs and all these things in our lives that save us time we're highly interested in. So it shouldn't surprise any of us that we are, you know, a lot of us are choosing or want to do remote work because it's convenient. Right. But oftentimes those convenience is sacrificing our connections. And so we have to be hyper aware of that because there's trade-offs every, every which way we look at it. So we've got to be super intentional about that. And also employers need to be thinking too, if you're going to bring all your folks back into the office, that's not going to solve the loneliness issue. Because hmm. again, if they're not connected to the work or their team members or the culture, they're still going to feel isolated and alone. So you know, hybrid, remote, in-person doesn't necessarily matter. Of course, if you're going to be physically disconnected, you got to spend some more time on it. But yeah, that's kind of how you know COVID got us to this point, back to your question. Yeah. And so this is what we're trying to kind of manage with. But I just think that too many organizations, too many teams are just throwing their hands up and going, yeah, we're just going to go with what's convenient, which is remote work. And they're just kind of wiping their hands off of it. And if we're not intentional, I think they're going to find themselves in a really poor spot. They're going to see the revolving door of talent because folks just don't feel connected to the organization. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're at that transition point where I'm dying to jump into the the ways that we, we can identify lonely and burned out employees, right? And what the signs are. But before we transition to that, is there, I want to make sure we haven't missed something that is so crucial to in the area of the problem. This is the problem. So before we go into solution, is there anything else we need to know, whether it's the research or something that our listeners have to understand before we make that transition? Yeah. Thanks for giving me that window. And I think this is important. And this typically we get a strong reaction when we share the research on this. Because I think folks still think might think loneliness or mental health is 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 soft, and leaders want to put this on the back burner, even though they might know it's important. It's where do you start? Because humans are complex. We we've tangled webs. It's it's hard to put, get your hands around all this. But here's why I would argue that it's dire, and that it's not just a soft topic. Um, research shows that when recently they took a group of individuals and they had them experience a they put them through an experience of exclusion. And when mm -hmm. that happened, their brains lit up. Well, that's not, not a big surprise, but where their brains lit up was really fascinating. So it was actually when they experienced this experience of exclusion, the same part of the brain that registers physical pain was the same part of the brain that lit up when they experienced exclusion. Mm. So our brain is reacting to exclusion as if it's an extreme threat. And that's not surprising because if we think back to our ancestors who roamed the plains, when you were excluded from the tribe your survival rate plummeted. There were so many things that were ready to kill you. And so our body still functions and reacts the same way. If we feel excluded, if we feel isolated and alone, our body goes into fight or flight. And, and then it's, it's, we're thinking about ourselves and we're not an effective team member at that point. Mm. So if we're not addressing loneliness, if we're not creating a sense of belonging and psychological safety amongst our team, it's as if we're having people show up to work and there's an invisible bully just socking them in the stomach. And who can produce good work at that point? How do we show up for our teammates? How do we show up for our customers and clients when there's that type of ailment impacting us? So it's imperative that, that organizations and leaders start to address this so that they can, they can calm that sensory down, right? And they can that frees up the workforce and their team to do loftier things and to show up for each other, you know, the topic of this podcast, right? To show up and, and to be present and to, to extend love and care to, to one another. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why this is so important. And again, it doesn't take a lot. It just takes you as a leader listening um, and just some subtle behaviors. But that's why it's so important is because it frees people to do better work. So when we tackle loneliness, not only are you improving the health and well-being of your team, but you're actually going to increase performance um, yeah. as well. And so that's 
something I think any leader can get, get behind. Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah, you, that, great business case, by the way. So, okay. So, after we come back from a quick break, uh, Ryan and I are going to get into what you guys have been waiting for and, you know, just helping to identify uh, if I have a coworker, a peer, uh, you know, th- that is burned out or lonely or isolated, I need to understand what the signs are. I need to know how to identify those, those things. So we'll be right back. We'll talk about that. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You probably already know this if you've been following the show. The question comes up often. What's the purpose of this show? What's the why behind love and action? Well, the simple answer, we need to eliminate suffering in the workplace and help leaders to flourish. Because when we have good leaders in place, the people under their care also flourish. That is really good for business. And by the way, as an extension of the podcast, I launched a leadership development course. It's got a catchy name. Check it out on my website. It's called From Boss to Leader. And in this course, I teach the skills that you often hear on the show. Things like how to communicate more effectively, how to engage your employees to put out their best effort, and how to build a high-performing organization. So check it out. I'm taking calls right now, and I'd love to personally chat with you to see if this course may be a good fit. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com and click on virtual training. Okay, Ryan. So how will I know that my coworker or colleague is in in kind of that danger zone, right? Of a lonely or burned out employee. Yeah. And it's, it's so important that we tune into this because loneliness creates a, a downward spiral, right? If, if we experience loneliness, our reaction should be that we reach out and connect with others. But what happens is we actually turn inward and we just, it creates this downward spiral where we isolate ourselves further. And so that's why it's important for other folks, to, if they spot these things, to try to pull folks in and, and cultivate that sense of connection and, and belonging. So we, we, have t- we had 10 identifiers that we put in the book. I'll just cover maybe two or three here. Uh, one of which is a lack of learning and development. So if someone, if you see someone that has limited participation in training, or they have disdain for extracurricular activities, they don't ask questions, they're uninterested in career progression, that's a subtle flag that that person might be feeling isolated or not connected to the team or organization. If they skip or resent meetings, that's kind of, uh, that would be a very clear indicator that this is someone that's <laughs> drifting into isolation if they're not apologizing for being late, if they keep, if they consistently keep the camera off during video meetings, if they're being disgruntled during meetings, or if they're quick to anger, these are all subtle little indications that that might be someone that's that's drifting into isolation. Hmm. Another one might be they only talk work, right? So they're not that they're unwilling to talk about non-work related items and and you know share more of their personal side to draw people closer to them. So. If they're not talking about their hobbies, if they're shying away from discussing personal topics, wary of small talk, these are all subtle items. And the last thing that I think catches people by surprise is excessive working can also be a sign, right? Where they're spending too much time working as a way to avoid personal responsibilities can create an imbalance in in social relationships. So if they're volunteering for too many projects or they're piling up their vacation days and they're not you know, using that time to go build relationships outside of work, uh, returning emails late at night. These are all subtle cues too, that, that mm. those are folks that are just consumed with work and, and neglecting other relationships that fill their bucket. So, okay, let me, let me play devil's advocate for a second. Sure. So can, can we make the mistake of identifying somebody that may be lonely or going in or, or, or isolated or burned out when in reality, it's just somebody that is an introvert, uh, not a people person, somebody that just likes to work alone. I mean, is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought up introvert because I'm an introvert. So I wrote a book Mm. about connection. (laughs) Still still don't quite, still uh, not sure how that one went, but um, what are the chances of that? (laughs) 
And my co-author, he's an extrovert. So my co-author, Steve Van Cohen, is an extrovert. So it was a really fun dynamic. And I think we created a really good balance there. But if, even if you look at the research, Marcel, like the, um, yeah. Nick Eppley, did, he's a behavioral scientist at the University of Chicago. He did some tremendous research that was looking at... He was riding the train in and out of Chicago. And he kept... It caught his attention that no one was interacting with each other. And he was like, why is this happening? Why not, why not create more connection and, and, and talk with each other? So he decided to do a study. And he studied people on the, on the train at first. And he created three groups. So there was a solitude connection where people were to keep to themselves. There was a, like a, a normal condition where people were supposed to do what they normally did, which was keep to themselves. And then the third condition was to connect. They were asked to connect with a stranger and, and converse. And everyone, after that experiment, everyone reported a more positive experience when they were conversing with others, no matter if you were an introvert or extrovert, and no matter if you were the initiator or receiver of that conversing. And then he took that study and he went to doctors' waiting offices and taxis and airports. He did this all other places. It all had the same reaction. People had a more positive experience when they were conversing with others. Again, no matter if you're an introvert or extrovert. And we've seen that across the, across the, uh, the board. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or extrovert. At the end of the day, we are human and we require human connection. Sometimes it depends on the quantity is where it kind of differs between introverts and extroverts. So all this to go back to your question... Yeah, I mean, if, if this, if some of these things that I mentioned are consistently happening, and we're never getting a glimpse in their personal life, or they're always excessively working, that's when this this really should perk up. But if you understand that they're an introvert, and there's these times where they're not being antisocial, but they're being pro solitude, yeah, lean into that. But and and certainly, you know, these are all. I would behoove leaders, but we always encourage leaders to create kind of a profile of their individuals that they're working with, right? What are some of the things that they like? What are the books and movies and family? So you have an idea of who they are, and perhaps you take some personality tests too to understand who they are, and you can use that as a, as a filter as well. But again, I think too, the more we talk about loneliness and the better we get at, at feeling it and knowing the indicators in our own lives, the better we'll be able to, to spot it in others, no matter if you're an introvert. Or yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even reverse devil's advocate on me because okay. I have to acknowledge that, you know, I'm an introvert too. And I have to acknowledge that I all, even as an introvert, okay, so I may jump off a stage at a speaking engagement and I'll go, I'll go, oh man, I need to just unplug for a day or two. Right. Okay. That's definitely speaks to my introvertedness. But then after I, after my, after I get recharged, I need to connect with just two or three people that may, I may know well by my my community here, and because you know now I'm like seeking that connection, that that sense of belonging to to a community. It doesn't it doesn't have to be work, but I'm saying work obviously helps because we spend the majority of our awake hours at work, right? So, mm-hmm. but uh, but I'm acknowledging that even as an introvert, uh, you still need to connect as well. It is I think is in in your human design to do that. Marcel, before we go on, I want to come back to that research yeah. I just shared. Because what was really fascinating about that is that when Nick Epley, the researcher, asked people that were going to be a part of this experiment, whether or not they thought they'd be more happy keeping to themselves or talking to others, a majority of them said, keeping to myself. Mm. And then he brought this, this, uh, his research to the city of Chicago. And he said, hey, look, you know, people are, have a better experience when they're conversing. So Let's create a chatty car. Let's let's create opportunities where people can connect on the train. And the city said, no, 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 no. We've done our own research and people have told us they want to have a quiet car. <laughs> and yeah. he's like, well, have you ever thought about creating a chatty car? And they were like, no. Oh, actually, we did in the past. We had a bar car, but we closed that because it was too busy. It was there was too much conversing. It was too, it was <laughs> it was too popular, essentially, is what they're saying. But here's here's the nugget in that is that our brain misleads us. Right in both cases where people were asked if they were going to be more happy conversing or keeping themselves, most of them said keeping themselves. And mm-hmm. so our brain's misleading us. And I think that's what's happening right now too. When we're thinking about remote work, it's misleading us. We're thinking we're going to be happier working remotely. It's easier. I don't have to commute. All this. Like I think our brain might be misleading us. So we've got to start leaning in and wondering, okay, is there a hole in me? And could that be filled by going back in the office or finding more community locally, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Ooh, uh, this is a great intersection because I, I want to make sure that we steer our audience the right way. So 
we can go the speak to the strategies and 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 the steps to kind of defeat loneliness in the remote setting because I think that's where the uh, this is an assumption, but I think that the majority of people now are either remote or hybrid. So we can talk about how to defeat loneliness in those settings. Or, hmm, what about those that are transitioning back in the office? So pre-pandemic, loneliness was a, was a huge issue in face-to-face environments, and people just weren't connecting. So I don't know, what's a good path here to to take our, our listeners? Yeah, you know, uh, I think all, if not most, of the strategies that we share in the book go either way. So whether you're working remotely, hybrid, or you're in an office setting, the strategies we teach can go either way. So that's the beauty of it is is we're not, you know, and we, you know, yeah. So let's, let's go, we'll, we'll keep it broad. And if we want to dial in on certain aspects, uh, so be it. Yeah. And so, yeah, you can, you can pick what, what is applicable to your own work environment. All right. So what, where do we start with like strategy or a step that the individual contributor, not the leaders, not, so don't speak to the culture yet, but let's, let's do the, all right. It's, you know, it's that the developer that is just banging out code all day and maybe isolated. I don't know. So speak Mm -hmm. to that person first. How do we defeat loneliness if our brains are deceiving us? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, In the book, we, we, we share a four-step framework of how to move through loneliness and essentially lessen loneliness amongst oneself or a team. And the first step is to look at loneliness. So it's this idea of we've got to start understanding it. And so on our website, lesslonely.com, we have a free two-minute assessment that's research-based and it's 10 questions that can give data to an individual as far as how connected am I with others around me? So that's really the first effective step is to understand what it is to remove the shame from it. Don't beat yourself up about it because we're all experienced loneliness. It's a universal human condition. We need loneliness because that's what's that subtle biological nudge for us to connect with others. So that's the big first step. And then if, if, if I'm t- talking to leaders, and this could be helpful for individuals as well, a big primary first step in that look at loneliness portion, quick side note, we created an assessment for a team as well that's empirically validated where you can take an assessment to figure out how connected you are to your team. So that could be an effective tool. Uh, But another way too, often people overlook this idea of connecting with oneself. And a good way to do that is solitude. So aloneness can actually lessen loneliness. I know that seems a little odd to say, aloneness can lessen loneliness. But it's this idea, this old adage, right? Of of on a plane, oxygen masks come down, you got to put on yours before you can help someone else. Well, same thing here. You got to connect with yourself if you're going to be able to show up fully uh, for those around, around you. And isolation in itself isn't necessarily negative. The negative state of isolation is loneliness. The positive state of isolation is solitude. And that's when you are free from the inputs of other minds. So solitude can happen in the middle of a crowded coffee shop if you're intentional with your thoughts and you're directing your own thoughts and you're trying to get to a spot where you're you're centering. And that could be journaling or meditating or going mm-hmm. through a walk or a hike. You know, these are all, all different ways that we can experience solitude. But for leaders specifically, it's really important to do this because leaders are the ones that go out ahead, right? They're the ones that that are trying to pull the preferred future closer to their teams and getting out ahead and being that visionary is isolating and it can be lonely. Yeah. And so you've got to get comfortable with being with yourself and guiding your own thoughts and creating that space for yourself to connect so that you can turn around and have that margin and space to really connect with your team as well. I love it. Okay. Yeah. And you spoke so clearly about the need for self-care and those examples, right? It's, uh, you know, having that moment of solitude to just kind of just shut off the outside world from getting into just, I, I will almost say, you know, get into your heart about uh, the things that that truly matter to you, right? And you said journaling, I, I journal a lot and uh, I get so much clarity and, and, and kind of direction and, and forward movement from, from journaling. It helps me to understand, okay, here are the steps I need to take. Uh, with whatever whatever the situation is. So thanks for that. Um, okay, so now speak to how do we create this, this space for people to do that on a systemic or culture level? So now we're talking about leadership, right? I mean, it's shaping this culture to defeat loneliness at work so that we have high performers and people are engaging, et cetera. Yeah, so the second step here is to invest in connection. 
And a piece of that is to invest in safe connections. So you mentioned psychological safety at the top, and that is a uh, a core tenet to what we're talking about here is we have to create environments where people feel safe. And the way I like to think about psychological safety is there's one question that is ringing throughout your body all day long. Research tells us your body's asking it five times per second. And that question that your body is asking itself, you're not aware of this, is am I safe? Your body is always asking that. Your body, your brain, everyone, it's going, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? So if for leaders and organizations that can quiet that voice, right, it can satisfy that core uh, question of humanity, that's where great things start to occur, right? People can actually then show up and perform. Like we talked about earlier with the loneliness, you know, um, um, experiencing that exclusion, it lights up the brain, same part of the brain with that, that lights up for pain. And so a great uh, one way to really create space and, and create psychological safety from a leader perspective is to speak last. So speak last in a meeting, whether that's again, virtual or in person. So you maybe create the agenda and then you maybe have a topic that you need the team to converse on and set the stage and then shut up, <laughs> right? <laughs> Too often we tend to just then give our opinion. Well, that persuades the whole group and no one's that's going to shut down the creativity and the other thoughts of everyone else because they're just going to want to fall in line with the leader. And so speaking last gives the space for people to have thoughts and opinions. And then if someone shares something, you know, the leaders need to continue to guide that discussion, which is like, that's really interesting. Instead of saying, no, that's not what I'm thinking, or man, we better not go in that direction. You know, how do you facilitate that? Because one of the core tenets of psychological safety is making sure that everyone has an equal voice, right? Has proportional conversations. Yeah. So proportional time to speak. And so again, if leaders can speak last and facilitate that proportional conversation, and everyone can have a voice and, and feel like they're they're seen and being heard. That creates a sense of belonging and lessens loneliness as a result. Mm, I love it. I wish we had the time to go through every step, but th- um, this episode is kind of a a, a, a great little um, you know sneak preview of your book. So hopefully yeah. people will go out there and purchase it to apply all the steps. But I want you to maybe pick one of the steps for this question. I want you to speak to the CEO listening. Or maybe the you know the chief human resources officer, somebody at the top that that is a decision maker that can that can create change. What's the quickest way to turn your organization around from a culture of loneliness and isolation to one that is connected? Yeah, I think one of the one of the the, the core ways to do that is to communicate clearly. Right when we are unclear, like the the brain doesn't like confusion. And if people, if we are unclear on what we're to do or what the purpose of the organization is or what, what the roles or responsibility of me as an individual, we wander. And when we wander, we get lost. And when we're lost, we're lonesome. And so clarity, being having a clear direction uh, is one of the most important things. We studied astronauts in the book because, of course, you know these are professionals that are 200 plus miles away from Earth that don't that see a total of 10 people in one year and that are, you know, <laughs> talk about isolation, man. I yes. can't think of more. Yeah. <laughs> and so one of the things that they they have clear direction every day. They know what's, what's asked of them. They know what's important. They know why they're on this mission. And so that's how they're able to keep isolation and loneliness at bay is because they have, they are able to, to hyper-focus because they have very clear agendas. So Leaders at any any levels of the organization, but you said at the top, I think that's one of the, the best ways is to, is to communicate clearly, make sure mm-hmm. everyone knows what's going on, you know, what we're doing in the organization, why we're doing things in the organization, and then for every leader, they should make sure that people know how exactly they're fitting in to that bigger picture, Gosh. and that'll 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 go a long ways in creating that sense of belonging and and people feeling less isolated. Yeah, I'm going to connect the dots to uh, Gallup study and what you just said. That leaders must uh, communicate clearly and set set the right expectations and have the right goals in place and all that. That's one of the one of the top three reasons why people quit is because of the lack of those things in leadership. So take note, folks. If uh, <laughs> if you have high turnover, that might be the reason right there. I'll add one more thing, and I think will be relevant. One of the things that Netflix does that we looked at is mm-hmm. they actually. Culturally, they lead with context and not control. Context and not control. 
So they, 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 it's their belief that if, if the teams and individuals know the context, the, if they understand why, why certain decisions are being made or why we're moving in this direction, or here's the context of which I need you to get done, then folks will, will, um, will be able to execute. And so yeah. how as leaders do we, again, it's, it's this idea of communicating clearly, but communicating the bigger picture and the context of everything, and then having faith in your folks and uh, trust in your folks to do the right thing when they have the context because it's been communicated clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's even, it's aligning even the most mundane, small tasks to sort of the bigger tasks that we, the bigger picture to, again, give you kind of that sort of meaning and purpose in the work that you do. Right. Yeah. Yep. I love it. Okay. So as we wind down here, Ryan, uh, I like to ask this question. It's tradition on the show. It's the leadership love question. So in the context of our conversation, how do leaders demonstrate practical love and care to their people in a way that it's not squishy, but in a way that makes business sense? Yeah, you know, we argue in the book, one of the core tenets of of humanity. One of, one of our primary needs is a sense of belonging. We talked about our ancestors. When you get excluded, you, your survival rate plummets. That, is, that, is, that runs rampant inside our, our, ourselves and inside our bodies, right? Because we're looking for belonging. So one of the ways to, to, to show love uh, to a team is to create that sense of belonging and make sure that no one feels a sense of loneliness. I think a, a primary relationship law is this, Never make someone feel alone, especially when you're with them. So if there's people on your team as a leader that are feeling alone, that's on you. <laughs> yeah. You know, those people are on your bus. How can you create a sense of belonging? You can't control what happens off the bus, but when they're on their bus and you're heading in the same direction together, you better be there for them. And yeah. when is when is loneliness lessened? It's when attention is received. So one of the, the best things, again, we talked about at the top of this, is to creating margin to where you can show up for that person and just give your attention and your full mm. presence to that person. That's mm. love, right? Yeah. I mean, that's arguably the, the most valuable resource on the planet. That's why Meta used to be a trillion-dollar business is because they were just mining human attention. So when you can give your highly valuable human attention to somebody else, uh, it, I think that's it's hard to, to find another act that is more lovable than that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, before we bring it home, what do you ultimately hope for that you know that readers get out of reading this book? What what is your ultimate ultimate wish and hope? Yeah, you know, I'd say three things. Number one, I want I want them to understand loneliness, but then understand that loneliness, without a doubt, is impacting your team. It's not a matter of if; it's a matter of how many folks are impacted on your team, and it's not shameful. It's a signal, and so lean into that. Secondly, would be work is the best place to tackle loneliness for some of the reasons I just mentioned with leaders and having their folks on the bus. But those lifelines, again, at at work are relationships, routine, learning, purpose. And as you mentioned, Marcel, work is the place we spend the most time of our waking hours. So why not start there to lessen loneliness? And third and finally is it takes a lot less effort than you think, and it only takes you. And the research shows that a 40-second interaction is all it takes to lessen loneliness it takes one friend at work or one confidant at work and then you know or sharing 5 minutes at the top of a meeting a little bit something more personal about yourself or or the team those are all subtle little things that we can do pro social behaviors that can move the needle where we can create a greater sense of belonging where people are healthier and stronger and oh by the way talent retention decreases significantly when people feel like they're connected on a team mm. Ryan we bring it home uh, on every show with two final questions. Here they are. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? I heard something yesterday that that resonated with me. And there was a, a, a speaker um, that was talking about the components of an engine and how all of them are created to be together. But if we don't put oil in that engine, those parts will destroy each other. And I forget exactly what the reference he was he was doing because my wine went in a different direction. I thought that is exactly what belonging is. And in this conversation today, we are all created to work together and to be with each other. But if we aren't greasing the wheels, if we don't put the oil of, of belonging inside our organizations and our teams, we'll grind against each other and we'll destroy each other. So we have to keep putting that, that oil in there for us to continue to function and to, again, be healthy and stronger as a result of it. 
Mm, love it. And finally, you close us out your way, Ryan, with a key takeaway to keep us inspired. Yeah, I think um, I love this quote by Robin Williams. He said, I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up all alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel alone. So don't be that person. I'm talking to you leaders. Don't be that person. When people have been entrusted to be on your team, make sure they don't feel alone because now more than ever, we're feeling alone and isolated. And the leaders have a really unique opportunity to lean in here and sound the alarm and and strengthen teams by using belonging. That's a great, great way to close. The book, again, is called Connectable, How Leaders Can Move Teams from Isolated to All In. Brian, if people want to connect with you, give us a couple options, how they can learn more about you, your work, et cetera. Yeah. Thank you, Marcel. Thank you for listening. Uh, the mothership is lesslonely.com. You can find everything there. You can grab the book. You can take that free self-assessment I mentioned to scroll to the bottom of the page. And then we have a we have a physical deck of cards that helps remote or in-person people uh, to feel more connected. It's research-based activities they can do. So check that out. And then I also mentioned the team connection assessment. So this is, we worked with researchers out of Harvard and University of Canterbury to empirically validate. This is the world's first assessment that actually assesses how strong the connections are across the team. So check that out too. And the book is, we wanted to start the conversation, give folks some helpful resources, but then we also went the extra mile and create a whole toolbox to make sure that we can create more belonging and less loneliness across teams. And then on social, uh, follow at Ryan and Steven. That's at Ryan and Steven on any social platforms. We're even on TikTok at the moment. And we're dripping out all kinds of connection insights and learnings from the book as well. So find us there. And thanks again for having me, Marcel. He is Ryan Jenkins. It's been a blast hanging out with you. And thanks for sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Join the conversation and comment on this episode with hashtag love in action podcast. And as always, look for my show notes to this episode on my website, marcelschwantis.com. I'll be sure to include all of Ryan's resources there. And finally, we're always looking for sponsors to help spread the love in action movement globally. If you have an interest, reach me on my website or find me on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.